Now, we're in a theater, obviously, not a church building, and so it sets up, well, this question I want to ask you. How many of you, and I can see, I know you, th- I got to put my hands up like this to see, but I can see, I'm going to ask you a question, want to get your response. How many of you, you like uh, movies? Let me just see your hand. If you're a movie lover, raise your hand. Let me see it. All right, a lot of you, a lot of you like movies. All right, you can put it down. Here's another question. How many of you, you like movies, but you're like me, once you see it one time, one time is enough. You don't ever need to see it again. You're done, all right? A lot of you are like that. I get that. I get that, Jeff. I really do. My buddy right down front here. Now, how many of you are different? You like, if you see a good movie, you've seen it more than once. All right, let me see. Uh, that's, about, that's been the same in every single service. Some of you have liked movies so well, you have seen the same movie at least 58 times. I know the other day I was walking uh, through the living room, and uh, my daughter was watching a movie, and I've never seen the movie, but I've heard it uh, an infinite number of times. And I said to her, I said, baby, how many times have you watched this movie? And uh, she threw out some random number that was probably about 70 or 80 times less than what she's actually seen it. And I'm just like, oh, man, I just can't do it. But, it, uh, you know, it, sort of makes me mention, uh, and the reason I want to say that is there's a guy that I read about not too long ago that this guy, he watched the same movie uh, again and again. He watched it first time, second time, third time. And as he described it, he said, you know, the same movie. He said, the first time I saw the movie, I actually saw it in black and white. And he said, I I enjoyed the movie. It was interesting to me. But in reality, it was black and white. It was just sort of felt like the facts. So I saw it. And I saw the facts of the movie, enjoyed it, but that was about it. He said, but the second time that I saw this same movie, the second time I saw it in color. And when I watched the movie this way, I felt like, you know, the story suddenly came alive. This story suddenly got to me. The movie became a lot more interesting. It sort of pulled me in. Then he saw the same movie a third time, and this time he saw the movie in 3D, and he said, now, you know, it wasn't like the movie just came alive to me. It wasn't that the story got me. He said, now I felt like I was a part of the story. I could reach out. I could touch the story. It felt like it was my story. And he just saw it in three different ways. And that's what we're going to do, actually, for the next few moments, and I'm trying to calculate my time, for about the next 26 minutes, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the Easter story three different ways, sort of the black, black and white, sort of the facts of the story, and then how it sort of starts to impact us, and, and then lastly, just sort of this three-dimensional uh, view of the story of Easter. And it's a fascinating story, the story of Easter. In fact, Easter is the most important event that has ever happened in history, without question. It is the most important event that has ever happened in history, and it's not just that Christians feel that way. A lot of people feel that way. In fact, that is such an important event in history. Did you know that the Easter story actually splits history into two? It like separates, you know, B.C. from A.D. And so every date since the resurrection is dated based on the resurrection. So today is March 27th, I think. And I do know for certain it is 2016. So we would say 2016, how do we come up with that date, 2016 years after the resurrection? I'll toss out another example. Let's say, for example, think of your birth date for just a moment. Say, for example, that you were born in 1983, just like I was. What? 
Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe a little earlier than that. But let's just say, for example, you were born in 1983. If you were born in 1983, 1983, where'd that date come from? 1,983 years after the resurrection of Christ. It is the most important event that has ever happened in history, the the Easter story, Jesus' resurrection. What would also be helpful for you and I to know as we sort of get into this talk is that while Jesus was on earth, which was about 33 years that Jesus made all these very bold and outrageous claims. Jesus would make statements like this. He would say, hey, if you've seen me, then you've seen God because I am God. He would say things like, you know, the only way to get to heaven, the only way for you to be able to get into heaven is you've got to go through me. The only way to get to the Father, you've got to go through me. He'd make outrageous claims like this. He would say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. But a lot of people prior to Jesus and since Jesus, they have made outrageous claims as well. But Jesus said, this is how you're going to be able to tell the difference between them and me. All right? They're going to make it outrageous claims, and they have. I did. He said, but I'm going to back it up, and I'm going to show you how I'm going to back it up. I'm going to show you how I'm different from everybody else that have ever made any kind of claim, you know, whatsoever concerning themselves. He said, here's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to die. In fact, I'm going to be crucified. They're going to nail me. Evil men, wicked men are going to nail me to a cross, and I'm going to die. I'm going to die for your sins, by the way, is what Jesus was communicating. And then what's going to happen after three days, I'm going to come back to life again. And that's how I'm going to prove that these outrageous statements that I've made are are actually true statements. I'm going to prove it in my resurrection. So when he first started making some of these predictions, by the way, and you see this in the Bible, when he first started making some of these predictions, uh, he was quite vague in his terminology. Let me show you a couple of examples of this. Uh, look up here on the screen. Uh, the first one is out of Matthew's gospel, the first book in the New Testament. And Jesus here actually tells a story that points back to an occurrence that happened in the Old Testament. And he uses the story of the guy, Jonah. Uh, look at this verse, Matthew twelve forty. He said, just as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man, which was a reference, a term used for Jesus, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Very, very vague. Look at this, look at this next. Again, he's starting to make these claims, but he's, he's, you know, they're mystifying in a sense. Here's another example. This is out of John's gospel, John chapter 2 said that Jesus answered them, answered the people, and he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, this building, this church. It's taken us 46 years and you're going to raise it in three days? Like, really? Are you kidding? Look at verse 21. But the temple that he had spoken of was actually his body. So Jesus is saying, here's how I'm going to set myself. Here's how you're going to know that what I'm telling you is true. I'm going to be nailed to a cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to be dead for three days. But you're going to know there's something different about me when I'm resurrected from the dead. Now, what I must tell you is that the closer that Jesus got toward his death, toward his crucifixion, he started uttering these words with absolute clarity. Look at this next example. This is back in Matthew's gospel, chapter 17. It says, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, and this is his own followers he's talking to on this occasion. 
He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day, he will be raised alive. And the disciples were filled with, it says they were filled with grief. Now, why would they be filled with grief? Was it simply because he said, hey, they're going to kill me, they're going to crucify me, and I'm, I'm sure that that helped to shatter a lot of the, you know, the, the comfort, the stability, you know, that they felt by having Jesus alive and with them. It was going to dash that sense of security that they had about them. But if you were really convinced that Jesus was going to be resurrected only three days later, then it'd be like, you know, Jesus, that's going to be a long three days. But I hear you. I hear what you're saying. After three days, you're, and they'd be filled with joy, anticipation, not with grief. So the reality is, even his closest followers are not yet convinced that Jesus is actually going to come back from the dead. So with that in mind, here's what I want to do for these next moments that we have together. I want us to look at Easter three-dimensionally. Let's start with the very first dimension. And the first dimension, we would simply call it this. You may want to jot it down somewhere, you know, your iPad, your phone. The first dimension would be the proof, the proof. Because the reality is, When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it proved that he was, in fact, the Son of God. So the first dimension, if we're looking at the Easter story and we just look at the black and white facts of it, Jesus proved, he did, that he was the Son of God by being raised from the dead. Now, this claim that Jesus made that after three days he would come back to life was not just known among his followers. You saw examples that you just looked at on the screen. He told his closest followers, and they're filled with grief, But it wasn't just his followers who had heard him make these kind of statements. It was also well-known among his critics. How do we know this? I want you to just listen. It's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to listen to what happens the very day after Jesus was crucified. What happens on that day is that those who had killed Jesus actually went to Pilate, who was the Roman governor at that particular time, and they went to him with this request. Just listen to this. This is Matthew 27. Matthew 27, the next day, which was the day of worship, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together and went to Pilate. They said, sir, we remember how that deceiver, how that deceiver, you know, not Jesus, not son of God, not this guy who's worked all these fantastic miracles. Sir, you remember, we remember how that deceiver said, while he was still alive, after three days, I will be brought back to life. Therefore, give the order to make the tomb secure until the third day. After that, we're not worried about it. He didn't say fourth day. He didn't say a week later, month later, next year. He said after three days, so let's secure it until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may steal him and say to the people, he has been brought back to life. Then, listen to what they said, then the last deception is going to be worse than the first deception because we already know he's a deceiver. I mean, what he said, these claims that he's making, he is a deceiver. He is not coming back from the dead once he's killed. And they knew. They saw that he was dead. In fact, when they went around, and this was common among criminals who was crucified. By the way, Jesus was not the only person who was crucified. In fact, the very day of his crucifixion, if you read the New Testament, it tells us two others were crucified right there with him, between two thieves, it says. And what was commonplace in that day, because they didn't just want to wait around forever, 
uh, for the people to die who had been nailed to a cross. So what they would do if they would, did not die in like expedient fashion, they would come around, and I'm not going to get technical or medical here, but they would come around and they would break their legs. And the reason would be because if they broke their leg, legs, it, it prohibited from them being able to like draw up and reach and, and draw in deep breath to just sort of keep themselves alive. Because many times, by the time they had already been put on the cross, they had been beaten in such an inhumane fashion. They were barely alive anyhow. So they would come around, break their legs, and then lost the ability. And literally, they would suffocate to death while on the cross, added with all the other complications that they had occurred. So they came around to Jesus, got no, no, not even necessary because he was already dead. So they're not arguing over whether or not he was dead. They all knew that he was dead. What they were saying is this deceiver, you know, the f- second deception is going to be worse than the first because if they steal his body away and, and they hide it somewhere or they get rid of it, then they're going to say, yeah, yeah, Jesus is rose from the dead. So if you can just secure it, you know, put the biggest, baddest people around the tomb and keep them away from that, then we think that would be a great idea. Listen to how Pilate replied. Next two verses. He replied in this manner, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and they uh, posted guards there to protect it. And so they're just like, hey, we're not going to allow this deception to continue. So what happened? I mean, you know, they did that. Did that prohibit Jesus from being raised from the dead? And it most certainly did not. Jesus came back to life. He kept his word. He rose from the dead. And you say, all right, Jeff, time out, time out, time out. All right, you're a pastor. And so we expect pastors to say it all happened, but give me the proof. And I appreciate that. I respect that. Prove it. And that's sort of the first dimension that we're talking about. Prove it. And I can't prove it because I didn't see it firsthand, but the Bible records again and again, and it wasn't just among Christians. There are other non-Christian historians that would validate what the claim of many of Jesus' followers had said. How do we know for certain that Jesus rose from the dead? What many people do not understand is that Jesus actually stayed on earth for about 40 days after his resurrection. Uh, Again, you know, you follow the story when he came into the world, Christmas, God sent his son into the world, born as a babe in a manger. And so he lives on earth about 33 years. About year 30, he starts going public with his ministry. About year 33 is when he's nailed to a cross and he, and he dies. So he's resurrected from the dead, comes, uh, you know, back to life. And so for about 40 days, he is on earth before going back to heaven. And, and during that time, there were scores of eyewitnesses who actually saw him. Let me show you a couple of examples right here. Look on the screen. This is out of the New Testament book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. Look at this verse with me. For 40 days after his death, he appeared to them many times in ways that proved beyond doubt that he was alive. They saw him. And he talked with them about the kingdom of God. In fact, if you follow the story, you find out that not only did they see him, but they had these conversations and he ate with them and spent time with them. It's like these that he's pouring himself into, these... Uh, he's like, I'm going to give you 40 more days of teaching before I go back, back to heaven. And he's appearing to all kinds of different people. In fact, later, this great church leader by the name of Paul, he becomes more specific and who some of the eyewitnesses are. In fact, look on the screen again. This is out of 1 Corinthians. Look at verse, 15, or verse 3 of, verse, of chapter 15. He said, I told you the most important part of the message exactly as it was told to me. That part is Christ died for our sins, as the Scriptures say, 
He was buried, and three days later, he was raised to life, as the Scriptures say. Christ appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, all the apostles, but not just them. After this, he appeared to more than, look at this now, more than 500 other followers. Most of them are still alive. What he's saying by that is, hey, if you don't believe me, a lot of these that saw him, they're still alive. Now, some of them, you see the rest of the verse, some of them have died, but there's a lot of these people still living, and don't just take my word for it. You go and you talk for them to them. They were eyewitnesses. They'll tell you that they saw him alive. He also appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Finally, he appeared to me, even though I'm like someone who was born at the wrong time. So he's just saying, hey, there's a lot of different, if you're looking for proof, a lot of people saw him. You see, friends, and we've got to get this. This is first dimension. This is the proof. Jesus did not appear to only a handful of people. We can be certain, we can be confident that he appeared at least a dozen different times to more than 515 people He appeared to men and to women, to believers and doubters, to skeptics, to tough-minded people, to groups, to individuals, and and he he proved that he was who he said he was. And that many witnesses, I'm just saying to you, friends, what would you call that? You would have to call that conclusive proof. This is definitive evidence. This is not like just one person saying, you know what, Uh, a few days after Jesus you know, rose from the dead. I'm walking down this dirt road. I'm all by myself, and I'm praying. I'm talking to the Father in heaven, and and I see, and I'm not sure if it was a vision or an angel, but I'm pretty sure, sure that it was Jesus, and he's like the only one. No, at least a dozen different times to a minimum of 515 people, and they're like, if you don't believe us, I mean, and the story was consistent. The story was consistent, and I'll give you a quick example of this to help to validate it. Uh, A few years ago, I was coming back with uh, a large missions uh, team. We had been, I think, in the Dominican Republic. I'm quite sure it was that particular trip. And so we had a connecting flight in Miami, and one of the guys gets separated from the group. And so I'm waiting for him. I know where I think he's going to come out. So we've got one person standing in one place, and I'm standing down here. And it's not the busy part of the airport. It's like nobody's down on this level. But I knew where he went in, where he was coming out. And I want to say, hey, we've got to get on the bus, and, you know, we've got to travel. And I could look at the floor above me and see that's where all the foot traffic was and parting flights and all of that. So I'm standing there by myself, and honestly, I'm quite bored. I'm like, come on, come on, we've got to go, come on, you know. And, and I'm doing that, and I'm just sort of bored and i got to preface what I'm about to tell you, and I pray that you don't shut me off when I admit this to you, but I've just got to tell you, and if, you know, for the people that have gone to this church for quite some time, they know that in regards to college football, again, don't, don't get up and walk out, but growing up in Atlanta, I am a huge Georgia Bulldog fan. I just am, all right? Don't hold it against me. I'm just, I just am. So I'm standing in this airport by myself, quite bored, and, and I'm just looking around. I'm, I'm making sure that I keep looking back at this door that I'm confident he's going to come out of, and you're not going to believe what happened. Again, I'm, I'm standing here, Georgia Bulldog fan, and I see this guy walking toward me, and I see him as he gets closer. I'm thinking, it cannot be. this. Uh, no way, no how, it cannot be. And when he got really close to me, I knew for a fact that it was, and, and I, you know, I'm... I'm not proud of this, but I blurted out like a little girl. I mean, I just heard myself say, I said, hey, Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker. 
And some of you are saying, who's Herschel Walker? Come and see me afterwards. I'll clue you in. You'll get close to God once you hear about it. But Herschel Walker, like Heisman Trophy, and as a big Georgia bull, he's like the greatest bulldog player of all time. And I, I just, I look and I say, Herschel Walker, and he looks back and he says, Jeff Sellers. No, I made that last part up. He didn't do that, but in my... It felt that way. I said, Herschel Walker, and then I heard myself say something else. I said, all Bulldog fans love Herschel Walker. I said it just like that. And nice guy, and, you know, he didn't like, who's this crazy guy? Leave me alone, dude. You know, it wasn't that. It was just nice guy. He smiled. He appreciated finding a ridiculous fan standing in the Miami airport. And he just walked. And as soon as he walked off, I thought, oh, man, I'm not chasing him down. And I just thought, boy, if I'd been thinking, if I hadn't been so shot, I would have been like, hey, Herschel, let's, let's smile, Herschel. Come on, you and me, right here, right here. Because these people will believe me if they see. And I didn't have a pen, so I couldn't get an autograph. And so I'm like, nobody's going to believe me. Nobody. They know I'm a Georgia ball. They know Herschel Walkers. And I know, and I started playing this out in my mind. I know what's going to happen. And I was just disappointed. I'm going to go, and I'm going to get on that bus, and I'm going to tell them, hey, guys, hey, gals, I just saw Herschel Walker. And they're going to say, you're really tired. It's been a long trip. You've lost a lot of sleep. Pastor Jeff, you, you drank some water down there that apparently has not. Hey, did you smoke any of the local herbs, you know, while you were there? I mean, what? Really, Herschel? Are you kidding me? And, and, you know, so it was not as easy as to convince. But what if I'd had, you'll get the point, what if I'd had 15 or 20 of them? And so when I start telling my story to the rest of the group, they're all like, you know what? He did. I'm telling you guys, it was Herschel Walker. He, it really was Herschel Walker. So it wasn't just like one person. It was a, at least a dozen different times that we know about, a minimum of 515 people. And it was the proof. It's the first dimension. The second dimension. The second dimension is the promise. The promise. Jesus made a promise that we too would be resurrected from the dead. Now we've got a story. This is no longer Easter in black and white. This is not just the facts of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, now it's different. This is the second dimension. Now it's just something more than just standing back and looking at the facts and saying, okay, I believe. I believe that he really did rise from the dead. Now it's bigger than that. Now it's like the story has become our story. Jesus makes another outrageous claim, and that is that he is going to resurrect you after you die. Death is not going to be then. There actually will be life after death for you. I just want to say this, friends, for all of us to consider. If anybody else aside from Jesus made this statement, then it would be difficult to take seriously. But you have to pay attention to somebody that comes back from the dead. If somebody does not come back from the dead, then, all right, you know, listen. But if somebody comes back from the dead, how many think you ought to listen to somebody that comes back from the dead? And he said, not only if I come back from the dead, but one day I'm going to raise you from the dead. And all of us are going to die one day. One day your heart's going to stop beating. I said that, that very statement, in all three services, just like that, all three, this third and final, I said, one day your heart is going to stop beating. Little did I know that the first time that I said it, one of the great people, one of the great families in our church, his mom was at another church this morning, suddenly had a heart attack and died. And he had no idea. And his family who are here every week came out to serve and And they're just a great, great, great family. Never dreaming. Never dreaming. I never dreamed that 
And when I was a boy, my, my grandfather, who I absolutely adored, he was like my hero, that he would go out, play golf, as he did quite often, but never come back home. In the middle of a round of golf, that he would suffer a massive heart attack and die before he even got to the hospital. One day you're going to die, and I'm going to die, but it will not be the end of you. It will not be the end of me. You and I were made by God to last forever. I want you to check out this verse on the screen. Take a quick look at it. Jesus told this particular lady, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Look at this next verse. This is 1 Corinthians. By his power, God has raised the Lord from the dead and will also raise us from the dead. You see, friends, you and I are going to live somewhere forever. You've got to know it. This is why, it's why the story takes on a whole new meaning now. Now we're in the story. Not just Jesus, black and white fights. Now he's saying, just as I rose from the dead, there's coming a time after you die that I'm going to raise you from the dead. And we're going to live somewhere forever when he does. And Jesus wants it to be heaven. And the very reason that Jesus died on the cross for us is that we had zero chance of getting into heaven had he not done so. Had Jesus not died on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for our sins, you and I would have no chance, zero zilch chance of getting into heaven. Why is that? Because heaven is a perfect place, and I don't know if you know this or not, but you're not perfect, and neither am I. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. So how can people, can I just say it this way? The only person who says that you are perfect is your mama. And she only said it to make you feel better. She doesn't even believe it. And you're not. And I'm most certainly not. And how can imperfect people get into heaven? They can't. They can't by being good enough. They can't by trying to earn it. You can't buy it. You can't make it happen. But the good news is Jesus has already paid for it. You can't buy it. You can't be good enough. But Jesus has already paid the price to make it possible. That's why he died on the cross for our sins. So the first dimension is Jesus proved who he said he was. Second dimension, Jesus is going to resurrect us. So what is the third and final dimension of the Easter story? And it is this. We had the proof. We had the promise. Now the last one is the power. The power. What do you mean? What do you mean the power? And that is that Jesus offers his power to us each day so that we may more fully live a Christian life. Starting next Sunday, and I hope all of you will come back. Please come back next Sunday because we're going to be talking about what is a better life that God said that all of us can have. And it's written about in one of the books in the New Testament about an authentic Christian life and and how that it can be a better life than any of us are living currently in our life. And I hope you'll come back for this journey. We're starting it next week. Next week will be the very first talk, and I don't want you to miss it. But the reality is, friends, you and I could have a much better life than the life that we have. We could get into that 3D living where we have the power of Christ available to help us every single day. And I've got to tell you, I've just got to be honest and say, a lot of people never get here. Not because they can. They simply ignore the power that Jesus makes available to them. They don't plug into the power. Jesus is like saying, I want to help you. I want, I want to help you. But we don't plug into the power. It's like it's available and we never plug in. Let me ask you a question, and again, I'm going to have to put my hands up here so I can see you, all right? How many of you, how many of you, not a trick question, how many of you like waffles? Let me see your hand if you like waffles. Oh, man, I like waffles. How many of you, when you make waffles, you put butter on it? Ah, you put butter on it. 
How many of you, and these are the people that are really close to God I know, you put peanut butter on it. Let me just see your hands. Oh, yeah, these are the people just close to Jesus. But how many of you know the longest wait in all of eternity is the time that you put those waffles in the toaster and push that little, little lever down, and you're waiting for the resurrection to happen, for those bad boys to come up out of the top of that toaster. And how many of you know you just wait and wait and wait and wait? And if you're like me, you flip that little lever, and they pop up, and you, you knew they weren't done, but you just had to prove they weren't done, and you just push it down again, and, you know, and finally, they're done. Now, let me tell you what would it stand that way. If you didn't realize it, but if that toaster was not plugged into a power source, you're going to be waiting a long time for those waffles. It'd be a waste. And a lot of people live their life that way. It's just like, I'm not plugging into The power's accessible. I'm just not plugging into it. And often this is how we deal with our problems. And you've got problems, and I've got problems, and all God's people's got problems. But a lot of times we deal with problems this way. All right, I've got these problems, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to dig in. I'm really going to dig in. This is going to be about my willpower, and I'm going to make it happen. You know, I've got these problems. I'm tired of my problems. I'm going to, you know, just exert some of my own willpower, and we attempt to do that. But we all know where that leads. It leads to frustration because we can't make it happen. It leads to fatigue because we just get worn out from trying to make it happen. It leads to fear because things start feeling out of control. It leads to a sense of failure because I keep saying I can do this, but I, I say I'm going to do it, and I don't do it, or I say I'm never going to do it, and I do it again, and I'm not going to. And, and it's, just, it's just problem after problem. It's because we're trying to use our own willpower. And I'm just telling you, friends, please, please hear this guy this morning. The willpower is not the answer. The real answer is real power, and that can only be found in Jesus. But you've got to plug into it. If you just keep spinning your wills, your own willpower, you're never going to live that kind of better life that God wants you to live. And there's a much better life available to all of us than the one we're actually living now. How do we know this? Just look at this verse on the screen. Look at it. 2 Corinthians 5.15. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people can ever live on their own. And God has a far better life for you. And God's got a far better plan for you than the one you're actually living. It's the power. You've got to plug into the power. And it's the power to let go of your past. To just say, you know, there's so much junk in my past, and I just want to disconnect from my past. He gives us the power to let go of our past. He gives us the power to start over again. It's like a brand new slate. How many of you, when you're a kid, uh, how many of you remember these? Is it called an etch-a-sketch? Do you remember these things? And you just make all these little marks on them, but then you can take. That was a pretty good impression, by the way. Let me try. And you look, and it's all clear, and that's the power. That's the power to start over and the power to keep going, that even when you feel like giving up, you're saying, this is not about my willpower, or I would have already given up by now. No, it's about the power of Jesus. That's why Paul said in Philippians 3.10, look at this last verse. I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. I can't do it on my own. I can't do it on my own. Black and white is just, okay, the facts. I see it. Jesus rose. That's the proof. The promise, now we're more in this story. He's going to resurrect me. I was made to live forever. The power, the power to live, the life that he wants me to live, a better life than I'm living right now. And again, we're going to start talking about this next Sunday, and I hope you'll be here for that.
When you came in today, the ushers out at that door gave you one of these 3D cards, and I, I, I hope that you'll take it with you, and don't just toss it. Maybe you'd put it in a prominent place. I put mine in my office, and, and so that I can look at it and be reminded of everything that Jesus went through for me. He's an innocent man, but he went through the cross and the agony of all of that for me. Pay off my sin debt in full. Pay off your sin debt in full. And I want to be able to look at that and be reminded. I want to see in the background that little tomb that reminds me that Jesus proved who he said he was, Son of God. And then one day he's going to resurrect me. I hope you'll take it with you. On on the back of that, by the way, is what we've been talking about for the last several minutes. Everything that I've been talking about is on the back of the card. And I know what some of you are thinking. Why didn't you just give me the card and let me go home? We do have smart outlets among us. We do. We just do. Just give me the card. I'll go home. I'll get an earlier lunch. All right. But kidding aside, take the card with you and let it be a reminder. Let it be a reminder of this day. Because today may be the most important day of your life. The day you invite Jesus into your life. The day you choose that you're going to have a better life than the life you have right now. I know what some of you are thinking. Because we've all thought it. Pastor Jeff, I appreciate it, but I was baptized as a child, and I'm okay. No, you're not okay. You were baptized as a child because your parents loved you and cared about you. That was not your decision. That was your parents' decision. You wouldn't even know you were baptized as a child unless they showed you a picture or a document. So, no, that doesn't make us okay. Well, I'm a good person. You know what? I don't rip people off. I'm a good person. I got high morals, high standards. I work hard. I'm a good, a good person. I'm a good man. I'm a good woman. I'm a good student. I'm a good husband, wife, employer, employee. But you can't be good enough. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You may be saying, because we all have said things like this in the past, well, I believe the right things. In fact, Jeff, if you and I were to sit down and have a discussion, we would probably believe about the same way. And I believe, but it's not just about believing. You've got to receive it. You receive it by grace and faith. That what Jesus said about himself was true. He was the Son of God. And he died on the cross. And he wants to give you a power a power that will live with you to the day that you die. And then after you die, he'll resurrect you and take you to heaven to spend all of eternity with him. If you want to know firsthand God's plan of salvation and connect with the power that's available to you, then I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Would every single person, would you just bow your heads? Every person, every person, bow your head. And I'm going to ask every person to pray this prayer after me out loud. And some of you are saying, well, I prayed a prayer like this before, and I don't need to. No, you're not praying it for yourself if you prayed it before. You're praying it for somebody else. So they're not just praying it out loud. So let's all of us. Would you pray it out loud? Those of you who are praying this for the first time, or maybe you've just gotten away from God, and today you're rededicating your life to Christ. You want a better life, a better life than the one you have right now. Would you just pray this prayer? Everybody in this theater, pray it after me. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for what you did for me. I accept the proof that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. I believe that after I die, you are going to resurrect me. Until then, I need your power in my life every single day. I really do want to live a better life. So please come into my life and change me. 
you deserve to be the Lord of my life. And I receive you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God a big hand? Can we just do it? Hey, we're done. We're done. But let me just mention this real quick. I ask you to hold on to this card for a reason. On the back of this card, on the other side of where you put your name on the front side, on the back side of it, it said, I made a decision today to commit my life to Christ or to renew my commitment to Christ. Would you just check one of those boxes? If you prayed that prayer with me, maybe you've never prayed it until today. And then you'll just check to commit my life to Christ. Or, or you prayed it at some point in the past and you're just like, I drifted. Man, I just went into drift. But I meant it today when I prayed it. I've recommitted my life to Jesus. I want a better life and he'll help me. Then you check to renew my commitment to Christ. And then as you're walking out, here's what the guys, there's going to be some people standing like at those exits right on the corner. And, uh, you know, just if you pray that prayer with me, just take. Take one of these books. We've got enough. Take it. We want you to have it. It will help you to grow and to learn what has happened to your life. And nobody's got to do anything weird. You're not going to have to give the secret Christian handshake, although there's not one. All you got to do is just say, can I have one of the books? And you just put your hand out. They'll give you one of the books. And a lot of you are wondering, well, you know, what do I do with this card then? Oh, you know, if you checked it, um, then you can, you can either drop it in the popcorn bucket as you walk out of this uh, door right over here, or if you're a guest, if you're a guest here today, don't put it in the bucket right out here where the guys are going to be. They'll be collecting everybody else's. But if you're a guest today, you take this on out. There's a VIP tent for you out in front of the theater, and you take it and you give it to them. And we've got a special free gift we want to give to you today just to thank you for coming out and to wish you a happy Easter. Will you stand with me, everybody? Thank you for being here today. Uh, happy Easter. I hope you'll come back and be with us next week. We're going to learn a lot together. Hey, I love you. I hope you have an awesome, awesome day. Happy Easter to all of you.